Hi there, welcome back to the Equipoise podcast, where in 10 minutes or less each week, we try to find some balance and bring it to the equation in some discussions that might normally be controversial or people disagree on them. Coming at you from my office in the church, I have no script for you today. Uh, it's been a really busy week. I started my new job, and so I'm going to speak to you from the heart. Uh, I know, Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I get it. But let's be balanced. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right? <laughs> so, oh boy. They, it, anyway, it's going to be okay. Let's just stay balanced. All right, all right. No script. Let's try not to go too far off the rails. I did not get to do my half-length episode on the ordinances, uh, baptism and Lord's Supper, and I'm not going to do an exhaustive treatment. It, it would just take too long, too many episodes. So I'm just going to try to explain what the different views are and what some pros and cons are. And then we're going to, if I have time, address some early pushback to one of my episodes. That should be fun. Okay, so baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism, right? Uh, in a lot of churches, only the pastor can baptize. That's not found in Scripture, so I'm not entirely sure where that comes from, to be very transparent with you. Um Kind of like how only the pastor can marry people, I guess, by the state. I guess that's kind of a thing, by the power vested in me, by the state of whatever. But that's certainly not a scriptural <laughs> requirement. Um, it's mostly the father, if I understand it correctly, in the scripture. But anyway, uh, so mm, don't really see a requirement for a pastor having to baptize. Uh, I think we've kind of made that a thing. Uh, does it have to be in a church? No, that's not what we see in the scriptures either. In fact, churches didn't really have baptismals, did they? They just kind of went down to the river. Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight, he just kind of dunked him. Hey, you believe? Let's get let's get let's get baptized. You know, uh, it's pretty straightforward. You see, if you see baptism not as some empty ritual, that's kind of the we call it the first step of obedience for the believer. I tend to look at it a little bit more uh, significant than that. In that. That is that was the believer's conversion experience, uh, per se. Now, I know people are going to accuse me of being a water dog, you know. Are you saying that if somebody's not baptized, they're not going to heaven? Well, I think you have a hard time making that case, right? Because the thief on the cross, Cornelius, we see all that. And I've, I've heard all the hermeneutical gymnastics. Well, maybe the thief on the cross was baptized. Oh, don't, don't do that. No, 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 no. No, I don't think you can build a case that, you know, there's baptism is uh, the the efficacious element in salvation. I, I don't think you can. I've heard a really good case made for it. Best case I ever heard was by Peter Lightheart. Uh, phenomenal case built for it. Very, very well done. Uh, but I remain unpersuaded uh, that God cannot save without the waters of baptism. Now, that being said, let's bring the pendulum back a little bit more toward the middle and say that um, the early church knew of no such thing as an unbaptized Christian, just didn't know of it. That was the profession of faith. Now we've kind of substituted it with the sinner's prayer, which is kind of a tragedy because baptism's all throughout the Bible. The sinner's prayer is nowhere in the Bible. Um, I'm not saying the sinner's prayer is not a good thing. You know, many people that I know and love have been saved by, you know, praying to God, right? But that's certainly not the biblical formula. The biblical formula, uh, repent, believe, repent, be baptized, be converted. You know, you see all these things and, and, um, hyper-dispensationalists would say, well, you know, there was a baptism for the Jews and a baptism. Don't, you can miss me with that stuff. You can miss me with that stuff for sure. That's, that's not, no, I'm not a hyper-dispensationalist. Ooh, maybe we should jump into that next. That's a big deal. I, I, I think that's a needful one. Anyway, so baptism, uh, as far as, as far as, as it pertains to the church, because we're coming off of our church series, um, is it a requirement for church membership? Yes, because again, that's the profession of faith. If you weren't baptized, the early church would not have, would not have considered you a believer. That's that was 
that was a non-issue. You know, the well, you saved but not baptized. That they would have scratched their heads at that. They they really would have. Um, so, uh, and again, I, I can't go into it right now. There's so much on that, and we're already we're already at past the four minute mark. Oof! Wow. This is going to be difficult. Anyway, so baptism. Does it have to be done by a pastor? No. Does it have to be done in a church? No. Does it have to be done before witnesses? Frankly, no. Uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch again. Now, people say, well, that was an exception. What well, exception or not, you know, if it worked for one, it can probably work for, for another. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying it has to be prescriptive of how all baptism should be done. I mean, it's great when it can be in front of other people, especially as a profession of faith. But we can't make any hard and fast rules on that. Um, the only thing I see is if somebody says, hey, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a, I want a covenant commitment, you know, to this church. I want to be a part of this church. Yeah, you baptize, you know. Again, back then, that would have been the same thing as saying, are, are you a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. I'm saved, baptized, I follow Jesus. Okay, welcome in, you know, donezo, you're in. So I, I don't think we can make any real hard and fast rules outside of those. Someone says, well, they weren't baptized by a Baptist. In, fact, in my faith tradition, Baptist baptism is very important to some. I think that's completely ridiculous. It smacks of pride and denominational superiority. Um, I'm big on immersion. I think immersion is valid baptism. Others would say, no, I, I don't think, I think that the thing is more important than the method. And I get that. I, I respect that. But, uh, and there's a whole lot there. Mike Heiser has a pretty good series on that. Um, in his, uh, what is it called, uh, the Naked Bible podcast. Really, if you just start with episode one, like the first five or six episodes talk about baptism in relation to the uh, confession. It's very, very good. Um, but anyways, so yeah, I, I, I'm an immersion guy. I think I have good, solid biblical reasons for being an immersion guy. I, I'm, you know, it's not a point of contention with me. It's just what I see in the Bible. So I want to stick with what I see in the Bible, you know. Uh, so that's that as far as baptism. Uh, Lord's Supper, that's where I've heard one pastor say, we got to guard the ordinances, you know, we got to make it Baptist baptism and closed communion. So basically, really quickly, there's three different views on communion in the West right now. Closed with a D, close, you know, without the D, and then open. Open, I don't really, I'm not really sympathetic to that one. It seems to be a little, you know, loosey-goosey, you know, anybody come in, take the communion, it's just something we do here. No, it's more important than that. It's performed by believers in remembrance of Jesus. The reformers take a hard attack on it in general. They say, well, it's a means of grace. Um, it's, it's a way that God dispenses more grace. I don't I don't really sympathize with that either because, again, I just don't see it in, in the Bible. I want to be a Bible guy, and I respect a lot of these confessions and a lot of these creeds, but Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Frankly, as you can tell from watching the children of Israel, children of Israel, excuse me, and watching the early church, we tend to be pretty forgetful. I mean, super forgetful, right? The disciples would see something and like forget it. The Israelites would see something and forget it. We do the same thing. So he does this so we can remember him. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. As far as this close, open, and close thing, um, I don't really see a, a, a real high biblical call for making it a secret thing for just members of a local church. But I totally get why a lot of people would want to do that. Um, it probably provides more control, more safety. But I, I suppose I, I've tried to find a balanced view. Some would call it compromise. That's okay. I've been called worse. Um, by, by better people. I, you know, um, it's one of my favorite phrases. I've been called worse things by better people. It's a little rude now that I think about it, right? <laughs> but, but anyways, um, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I, if you're a professing believer, a baptized believer, you know, and, and you are, again, is it really that much of an issue? It, it happens once in a great while where someone's in from out of town or someone's in between churches and is, you know, looking to come to your church for a little while. What am I going to do? Say, no, you're not a member of our church. In which case, what does it even mean to be a member, right? Well, covenant committed, in for the long haul. I get that, but 
it, let's just go back to the early church. If if I was one of Jesus' disciples and you know I was out there, said Jesus, can I come in for the Lord's supper? I can't imagine he would have said, no, 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 no. This is just for us twelve. You, you can wait outside. You know, I I just don't see it. Again, not in a, not anything we want to you know not a hill we want to die on. I don't think, but I'm I'm more of a close communion guy. I guess that's what that's what you put me at. Not open, but not secret. You know, closed. I, I don't think that that's really. Uh, found in the Bible either. All right, really quick, let's have a tiny little bit of fun. Um, in the episode that I did on bias, uh, one of the more popular ones, Battling Bias, part three of three in our bias series, somebody hit back and said, uh, we should not regularly read material that we do not agree with. He said, he doesn't believe this is scriptural. God told us to separate from error, not immerse ourselves into it. And uh, just went on, you know, just... We're submitting ourselves to Satan lies and everything. And I said, well, reading materials that we don't agree with doesn't mean reading error for the sake of reading error. Um, I specifically address this to not read material from those who are biased. But I also think it's wise to read and listen to material from men with whom we, we disagree on a host of topics where the Bible isn't necessarily clear. If we don't, we might be robbing ourselves of an opportunity to stand corrected. Um, so also the same person says... Um, just heard someone say that we should seek counsel from a variety of sources, not an echo chamber on their Facebook. And then he said, no, we should not seek counsel from those that will flatter us and tickle our ears, but we ought to seek counsel from those that love God's word, not random individuals. So I said, no one ever said anything about random individuals. You know, I, I said, be careful not to straw man thing. Um, so we're supposed to seek counsel from good sources. I actually agree with them. Um, but... Uh, seeking seeking counsel from a variety of sources is not a bad thing. We need to do that. You can't just go look up stuff that automatically is going to affirm what you already believe. All right, that does it. I'm at the 10-minute mark. Let's be quick and sign out. Until next time, stay balanced. <laughs>